This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. We're so excited you're here for episode 104. Wow. You know, 103 other times I've introduced my co host, and I'm about to do so now. Usually I find some kind of way to put him down, but really, he's not that evolved of a form of life. In fact, if we were going to make first contact we would pass because he's definitely not yet warp capable clearly the prime directive applies here and um we're going to leave him alone for centuries and see if he finally matures he's the crow magnet like dan davidson dan grunt for me buddy show me a care e plegasunum (laughs) (laughs) thanks for bringing me here bill (laughs) wow they just never get old, do they? You you probably spend a lot of time coming up with these things, or if you don't, you're just really proud of yourself when you come up with something, aren't you? It's it's more the latter than the former. <laughs> I didn't I didn't write that one down at all. In fact, I usually don't write them down. Wow. Well, you do a good job, and I appreciate it. I know. See, that just shows that you love me. So I pre- thank you, thank you, Bill. It's great to be here, Dan. We uh we've got a great show on tap today. We're gonna um we're gonna talk about a rather grand concept in the Star Trek universe. It's a grand concept, and it's kind of a confusing concept, if I do say so myself. And uh, we'll get into details about that. But you know, my directive is prime. Is your directive prime? Bill? Uh, my directive is probably very prime, yes. Excellent. Yes, we are going to talk the prime directive in the Star Trek universe uh, in today's episode. And uh, there's a lot of stuff to go over. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how we both feel about this uh, general order, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that we're going to look at it mainly from, you know, the, the Star Trek universe itself and not as a writing device. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly it's got it's got great parts to it and it's got failings as far as a, a, a script writing device. And, you know, we understand those and we, we stipulate those for the record. But we're going to talk more about its influence on the Star Trek universe itself, I think. I think that's a great idea. See, that's why you're the executive producer. Me? <laughs> I just got a promotion. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. Well, Dan, why don't you tell the good folk, folks at home how they can send me congratulatory emails on my promotion to executive producer? Absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks. 
You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. Uh, also, if you want to call us at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail, we would be happy to hear from you. And you can also do the same thing at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Also, as always, our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is available for you to join. Uh, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Uh, Heather, Jackie, Dan, Bill, or myself even may even will let you right into the group. You can start taking in on all of the discussion. And as a prize, because I will call it a prize, you are going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast just for being a member of Camp Kittimer. So that is pretty cool. I like it. Uh, but please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Wow, that's fantastic. I, I didn't know that at all, Dan. Thank you. And I'd like to think that by joining Camp Kittimer, you're the prize, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. I'll send special smiley pictures to everybody. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. That was my current version. Oh, okay. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant to bring you all the news on all the Star Treks. It's treknews.net online at treknews.net. And Dan, first up, um, I think we can sum this first story up as toys, toys, toys. Oh, my God. Am I happy about this? Um, as we know, Star Trek Discovery is coming up soon. And there was a major announcement uh, very recently that McFarlane Toys is going to be creating a special Star Trek Discovery toy line, which will debut in spring of 2018. Oh, my God. These toys are going to be freaking awesome. I um I love the work they do. You know the sculpting they put into these these figures because they've made other Star Trek ones. They've made NFL ones for years. Um, you know they do Assassin's Creed now. Um, you know we're we're big NFL fans. I've got a great Tom Brady figure that just it looks like the spitting image of Tom Brady. To be Which, honest, what figure wouldn't be awesome of Tom Brady? Well, uh, yet we digress. <laughs> they uh, they've got a Super Bowl champion series. They've got Walking Dead figures. They've got uh, Labyrinth, Rick and Morty, Spawn. Because of course Todd McFarlane created Spawn. Mm-hmm. But uh, I they I can't wait to see what they do for Discovery. They're going to be pretty amazing. I can't wait to see them. Um, I have the McFarlane Borg figures figures that came out several years ago. There's a Cardassian Borg and a Klingon Borg, and I think I think it's a human as the third one. The detail in these things is just absolutely mind boggling. And if they put in the same amount of detail in these Discovery figures, these things are going to be very very popular. I, I have to agree. You know, I, I think back to some of the other Star Trek collectibles I have, you know, in Rubbermaid storage tubs. You know, I, I've got mm-hmm. a full set of the Playmates ones. I mean, they're not all the same number, but, you know, you that was really hard to do back in the day, 25 years ago. Sure. But, you know, I've still got all those. I've got them for TNG. I've got them for DS9. I've got them for Voyager. I've got them for Generations. Wow. Um, yeah, I've got the Enterprise ones. Um, 
I can't remember. Maybe it was Art Asylum who did those, I think. Uh, I could be wrong about that, so don't quote me. But I cannot wait to get a full set of these ones. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. And and I'm sure that uh, treknews.net is going to have first glimpses of these action figures uh, and toys when uh, they're coming close to being released. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. That's because they have all the news on all the Star Treks. All the Star Treks. All the Star Treks. Duh. All the. All the yeah. Star Treks. All the Star Treks. Uh, yeah, Dan, speaking of all the news, um, you know, today we observe a special anniversary as we record. It's June 4th as we uh, commit this to uh, to digital recording. And uh, today marks a particularly special anniversary in the Star Trek world. It does. And it really shows that we are getting old, my friend. It really, yeah. really does. Uh, today, wow, it's even hard to say. 35 years ago today, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan was released 35 years ago today. I, wow. <laughs> um, I, I remember when it was 10 years and I thought, wow, that's a long time. And now it's like, wow, this movie has been out for most of my life. <laughs> yes. When, when, when I saw the anniversary tweet that you sent out this morning or on camp Kittimer, I'm like, Oh my God, 35 years. I was 12. And it seems like it was yesterday. Yeah. And, it hasn't aged. That's what's so great about it. Of course, everybody thinks, or most people think, it's the greatest of all the Star Trek films. Um, but just you know, I think it's it's more of a, a more a punch in the gut to me of this movie being thirty five years old than TOS being fifty. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, you know, because I think we we came into TOS, you know, when it hit uh, uh, syndication. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was on everywhere, just about, you know, every time of the day. And this was this was an event. I mean, I remember news coverage of Star Trek II, you know, from one of the Boston TV stations. And I remember them reporting lines around the block for Wrath of Khan. Yeah. You know, it was the middle of summer, and it was hot out, and they were interviewing people. And they talked about how the lines in Boston were even longer than they were for Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I thought was was fascinating. I'm not surprised about that. You know, Star Trek The Motion Picture was the first one to come out, but this one was carrying on an original series episode. Ricardo Montalban was very big back 35 years ago with Fantasy Island and stuff like that. So I think it was... I wasn't surprised to see that uh, that that was going on at the time with those with those interviews and, and news stories on the Boston stations. Do you remember where you saw Wrath of Khan? I'm pretty sure I saw it at the General Cinema in Nashua, New Hampshire at the National Mall. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I remember seeing the motion picture at the Brant on Main Street in Nashua, which was not a very good uh, um, movie theater. And I think I recall telling people on the podcast that they had the big spotlights going up in front of the theater for TMP. Yeah. Um, and the line was just around the building. I don't remember what the line was like for um, Star Trek II at, at the General Cinema, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's where I saw it. I saw Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan at the Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that our friend Scott Vashon saw it there as well and is, is probably smiling to himself as I recount this. Um, but I remember it being a hot day. And um, it, it's one of those ornate, or back in the day, it was one of those ornate theaters. It's going through a restoration right now. But uh, one giant screen in an old theater, you know, kind of along the similar lines of the Brant. But uh, I do remember afterwards, uh, my sister and I were arguing and fighting with each other, and my mom went up locking her keys in the car. So it was a great afternoon for us. Nice. Hey, is yeah. that theater the one, is that street in Laconia the one that's the weird one-way street that you have to like do a big wraparound to get yes. through? Wow. I remember that street. 
<laughs> you know, uh, it was a great place to see that movie. And I remember being totally freaked out by the uh, the city eels going into Chekhov and oh, Terrell's ears. Yes. You know, just seeing it on in that huge venue, it was like, uh, oh, Great memories. I watched it today. Nice. You know, in observance. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've seen this movie hundreds of times. I can quote it verbatim as I'm watching it. It drives everyone I know crazy. So I usually have to watch it alone. But uh, man, it's just, it. I was right back there. You know, it was, it was a great, great time. Did you watch that new director's cut DVD that came out recently? Oh, yeah. There you go. Is that the one you watched today? Yeah. Nice. Very nice. 35 years, man. Um, I think while we're taking this next break, I'm going to go get my, my meds because I'm like old. And then I'll be back to talk with you some more. And we'll be right back after Dan's Geritol break. Okay, you old geezer, let's talk about raising some money. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> feel like 90 again. Uh, yeah, you, you're looking like Vic Mignogna in the latest Star Trek Continues episode. <laughs> Except he had makeup on. Wow. Um, I know, Dan, we are, um, I, I think it's safe to say we're incredibly grateful for the response that we've seen to our cosplay for good campaign to benefit the Nevada SPCA um, with our STLV cosplay. It really is amazing to turn the the amount that we've already raised. We're over, or excuse me, we're almost at 50% already. And it's only been out for what, a couple weeks, I think? Yeah. Uh, it's really, really something we are so thankful. GoFundMe.com slash TrekGeeks. Check it out. It's uh, it's uh, got all the information of what we're doing. Um, of course, uh, we're trying to raise $1,000 for the Nevada SPCA, which is the largest no-kill animal shelter in the Las Vegas area. Um all the money is going to go straight to them, Bill. Uh, as you know, it'll never see our hands. And I know you love telling everybody what it is we're going to be doing, and I don't want to take that away from you. So so you go, boy. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate. It's like, you know, uh, I know that crowdfunding has, has, has been something that people have taken a dim view of as of late. You know, um, we specifically decided to have this money go straight to the Nevada SPCA on purpose. This money is never going to touch our hands. We're never going to see it. It's going to go straight to the facility and to the dogs, cats, and other adoptable animals that that could use it the most. So please know if you donate, not only is it going to be considered tax deductible for you, but it's going to go straight to where it's needed and not you know, in our account first. So, um, you can donate with confidence, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If that makes sense. Um, so yeah. So what we're doing, Dan is I came up with the, 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 the weirdest idea and you decided, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, we are going to do, uh, on the Saturday of STLV, we are going to wear the TNG scant uniform, which some also refer to as the male mini skirt, but, um, it seems to be you know, gender neutral because uh, there are women who wear it in TNG too. It only appeared in season one, and uh, there's good reason for that. <laughs> but uh, we are going to put these on and show off our uh, our beautiful gams, as it were. And uh, as a result, we are going to um, raise some money for a, a great cause. Uh, now, Dan, do you want to tell people about the extra component? Uh, other than your awesome gams? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we came up. Uh, congratulations, Bill, for this idea. In all seriousness, it's a great way to raise money uh, for the SPCA. Awesome, awesome. We love 
uh, our dogs, our rescue dogs, and it's a great idea. In addition to the money that we're trying to raise through the GoFundMe site, we have a selfie challenge that we're going to be doing for that Saturday at STLV. So for the first 100 selfies that people take with us in our scants at STLV, and then tag us and the Nevada SPCA, SPCA, excuse me, we are going to donate an additional dollar to the fundraising. And that's that's pretty awesome. So you can have a hundred dollars, but we're not done there yet, Bill. We're not. We're not. In addition to that, our awesome friends over at the G and T show have announced that they will match that one dollar per selfie extra fundraising. So that's two dollars per selfie, an extra two hundred dollars that will be going to the Nevada SPCA to help all the four legged friends that we have out there. It's awesome. That is so great. We can't thank everybody at G and T enough. They are so kind to us and and so. So gracious, um, uh, their their generosity is is overwhelming, and we can't wait to to take all of those selfies and and uh, and put some money toward a great cause. You know, you mentioned we're both the uh, the human parents of rescue dogs, and they have changed our lives for the better. And uh, we just want to try to be able to give something back to this uh, this area we go to every year as as tourists. So absolutely, we uh, we, we can't wait. And um, here's hoping it's not chilly in the convention hall, Dan. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, dude. We're going to be in Vegas. <laughs> My directive is prime. My directive is prime. And I'm right every time. I'm right every time. And this time I think you'll find it's a better day. Well, Dan, we gathered this week to consider general order number one. And that is, of course... Uh, don't go to Talos. No. no. Sorry. That is, of course, the rule known throughout Star Trek as the Prime Directive. It is by far Star Trek's most far-reaching idea, and ideal in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the Prime Directive of non-interference in other cultures. Um, <laughs> this is... Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, for however people feel about it, because people definitely have... Uh, strong opinions on the prime directive. We're just going to approach it from the fact that it exists. It does. And it, it comes up several times uh, in every iteration of Star Trek. Sometimes it comes up when you least expect it. And sometimes it comes up and it's like, what? Uh, But it's out there. And it's something that um, drives a lot of episodes. Uh, uh, in in either a positive or a negative way, I, I guess I got to say in my opinion, but we'll get into that later on. It's uh, it's an interesting general order, um, very interesting. Well, you know, earlier this week we went to Camp Kittimer and asked everybody there to put in their own words what they thought the Prime Directive was, which I thought would be an interesting experiment. Sure, very interesting. And so the directive we gave was, in your own words. How would you explain the Prime Directive to somebody who is brand new to Star Trek? And specifically, we didn't want people copying and pasting, you know, their or interpretations of the Prime Directive from other places or even from you know, definitions on like Memory Alpha. And we didn't want people referencing other comments. So we, we at least wanted to find out how people viewed it. And the common theme was the non-interference one. Um. But, of course, it just is about everybody says, well, there are exceptions. And I thought that was really the interesting thing. Um, there's a, a recurring theme that, that 
people say that the Prime Directive applies to pre-warp societies only. And I think that's probably one of the things we should talk about first. How, yeah. how, would, you, how would you describe the Prime Directive, Dan? Uh, I guess the best way that I would describe it, to uh, if it was to someone that had never seen the show before, is the Prime Directive is set up that Starfleet cannot interfere with the development of another civilization. With that being said... I am one of the ones that we're you just mentioned a moment ago. I'm one of the ones that originally had always thought it only was for pre-warp societies. Now, has your thinking changed about that? Yes, it has, based on discussions that you and I have had, actually. Wow, that sounds yes. really interesting. I'm giving you a compliment, actually, so that's pretty rare for one. That's incredibly <laughs> rare. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it can be very confusing, Um it's a very confusing order, first of all. I believe um, one of the things that we jotted down is that the Prime Directive actually has 47 suborders. So you've got one general rule with 47 subrules in it. So, yeah, that's not too hard to know off the top of your head if you're a captain of a starship. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like you have to run down a checklist. <laughs> you know, um, it's interesting because for years I always thought that the Prime Directive – also applied to pre-warp civilizations. Mm -hmm. But as I've thought about this, and as we've gotten through some of the the other series, which have followed the, you know, the original series, there are plenty of Prime Directive episodes that apply to cultures that have technology. So from my opinion, I'm almost forced to believe that I think the non-interference portion is one aspect, and then the don't make contact with, you know, technology, uh, technologically inferior cultures probably relates more to actual first contact than it right. does with interference with society. Does that make sense? It does. Now, let me ask you this. In your opinion, is the prime directive and non-interference with first contact for these pre-warp societies, is that is that kind of all bundled into the same rule of the prime directive? That's where a very confusing point comes into me and always has been, especially yeah. since our discussions. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think it. I think it is intermixed because you know we can think of of some of the the times the Prime Directive has been employed, you know, and and Memory Alpha actually runs through a great bulleted list of this, and I'm going to hit some of these highlights. Probably not all of them. Sure. You know, obviously, if the society already knew of and contacts the Federation, that's different. Right. You know, the society sends a distress call. Well, you know, you're hoping somebody is going to pick it up. Could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And you know, Mary, I'm looking at you. Ugh. <laughs> uh, oh stop it the society hails or attacks a federation vessel i'm thinking that's that's probably not the greatest way to introduce yourself um but you know then there's also rescue missions you know we don't want to interfere but when there's a you know a call for assistance and aid starfleet 99 times out of 100 more often than not delivers that aid you know what I mean? Here's here's something that I like to throw into the discussion as we're at it right now because it could be. I'd like to get your 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 take on it. We're talking about if if a rescue, you know, if a signal for for help is sent out or something along those lines, and then we can get back back up a, a couple of steps to the pre warp. In my estimation, if someone's sending a signal out into space for another uh, an alien species or someone else to come help them on their planet. Chances are they're technologically advanced enough to have some kind of space travel. So I think all of these examples that you're giving would kind of like negate that 
Prime Directive, which is w- what you're talking about right now. But it kind of makes sense if you look at it from that direction a little bit easier, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, there are, there are times when, you know, captains have to make the decision whether or not to suspend the Prime Directive or to just disregard it entirely. You know, um, but there are clearly others where it it has to, they have to correct the action of other ships that have been there. Mm. You now I think of a, a piece of the action. Yes, absolutely. You no, know, I think of, um, uh, false prophets in Voyager, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's actually a really great example. I got one. Um, yeah, go ahead. Return of the Archons. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and those times I think are a little more challenging. You know what I mean? Oh, Absolutely. It, it puts the captain in a very uncomfortable position, I think. Don't oh, you? W- without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, so for me, I mean, I, I have to think that the directive of non-interference and, you know, the, the, the rule of, of first contact or whom we should make first contact with, they almost have to be separate in parallel. Um, I know it's not cl- drawn out that way necessarily, but... I think it's the only way that I can make the prime directive make sense in my own mind. You do you do better than I do when you do that, man, because it's something that I've always struggled with and constantly do now. Even even watching this for so many years and knowing so many episodes word for word and every scene of everything, it still confuses the hell out of me. To be honest, well, yeah, I understand. You know, it's um, well, it's like we said. You know, we understand that the writers play with the prime directive to suit their own storytelling needs. But you know, as far as the as Starfleet and the Federation goes, it's it's well, it's you can't even really call it an absolute law for how many times it's disregarded by captains. <laughs> Is there a specific one you're thinking of? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe General Order Twenty Four. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> you know so. We know of two instances where the prime directive is just suspended in its entirety, you know, completely. Um, the Omega directive in Voyager. Oh, yes. Yep. Which, uh, okay, I get it. It works for that story. And then there's the problem of General Order 24 and a taste of Armageddon in the original series. Sure. Um, which, for those who, who are <laughs> forgetting what it is, um, it permits a starship captain, you know, sometimes to just destroy the entire surface of an alien world and eradicate the society living there. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. I'm thinking um, <laughs> that's uh, not exactly non-interference. What kind of monster are you? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of monster are you? So there are complexities. You know, if, if we go back to Enterprise, and I think the episode Dear Doctor really kind of deals with a great pre-prime directive situation really well. You know, I I mean, yes, Archer kind of telegraphs, you know, pays some fan service to the fact of, gee, I wish we had some kind of rule or doctrine or something, you know, that kind of tells us what we should or shouldn't do. You know? Um, It's a little bonk-bonk on the head, but I thought it was a great way for them to examine, well, what did Starfleet do before they had this far-reaching directive? I think it's a great way that they planted the seed, to be honest, about, you know, we always talk about, you know, with Enterprise taking place before TOS, all the retcon stuff. They did a good job in a lot of 
examples for establishing the baselines for stuff that takes place later but was done earlier. And I think that was a great example of planting the seed for um, not only the Prime Directive but in other episodes like, you know, the entire, you know, the the Federation uh, in, in Enterprise. I don't want to digress too much. But, yeah, that episode yeah. was a great example of – of getting it set up so that they had an answer for how it got actually started. You know, when we talk about, you know, the prime directive applying to civilizations that have warp technology or even advanced technology, I think of the Klingon civil war and Picard doesn't engage Starfleet in that conflict because he says it's an internal matter to the Mm -hmm. Klingon empire, Mm -hmm. even though they're our ally. But, you know, this is something that that civilization is going through, and they're not touching it with a 10-foot pole. In fact, it's it's largely not permitted in general. You have to wonder if, I mean, that's a great example. It's an internal conflict. Have there been other, quote-unquote, internal conflicts from members of the Federation that you can think of off the top of your head where they would have gotten involved? I'm trying to think of some, and I can't, but... I thought that I've always I've always agreed with with what you just said and how it's an example of the Federation not getting involved because of the prime director because of an internal conflict. But I got to think also that it was a little convenient for that episode. And I don't want to talk about the writing aspect of it too much, but I kind of have to go that way with that particular example. It seemed convenient, but at the same time, it works. So it's kind of a give and take. Oh, I agree with you entirely. I mean, there are times when, you know, it's clear that in TOS, there are pre-warp civilizations that have been affected by, you know, undue interference by by something, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, it's bread and circuses or, you know, if I even look at, uh, at Next Gen, you know, I, I mean, I have to take the episode First Contact as a great example. Mm. You know, here is a a culture that has advanced technologically. They're on the cusp of having warp drive. And yet, here we are making contact, right? Because they're getting ready to reach out into the world or into the into the galaxy, you know. So they're they've matured. I mean, obviously, there's you know, there's some discretion on on the part of the captain, you know. But <laughs> what is it with Riker? He goes down to these planets and he gets hurt <laughs> or caught. Or that's another example of you know Riker. Riker almost screws it up. <laughs> oh come on, he never screws anything up. BB North. I know, right? I know. <laughs> uh, the one that always comes out to me in terms of pre-warp society, which is just the one that you, you just kind of cringe at, and I don't know if this was something you were saving for later, but I'm going to bring it in right now. Yeah, go ahead. Is the apple. Vol. Yeah. Vol, baby. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of a prime directive, I don't know, cluster? <laughs> That's the best way to put it, I think. Well, clearly that's a time when, when James T. Kirk decides, Prime Directive? Mm. I don't need no stinking Prime Directive. Exactly. I don't like what's happening here. Yep. You know, and, and there's there's even debate, you know, among uh, among the crew itself in some of these episodes. Um, the Apple's a great uh, instance. You mentioned Return of the Archons earlier. Uh, Private Little War. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a fantastic example of... Mm-hmm. You know when <laughs> you know we've we, we've made these decisions and you know they, they've only gotten worse. Sure. Or um, oh, we talked about this episode just the other day, and I can't think of the name now. Uh, too short a season. Yeah. Oh, yes, with Admiral Jameson. Yes. Yeah, Admiral Jameson, where you know he, he negotiated this peace, and it turns out, well, he didn't negotiate the peace; he armed people. You know, he he gave them weapons. 
So yeah, of course there was peace. Another another great TNG example. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh God, I just had it in my head and it just went out. The the Vulcan offshoot. Um. Who watches the Watchers? Oh, the Proto Vulcans. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a great Dawkins. example. Yep. I th- I you know that brings up an, an area of the Prime Directive that has has really bothered me for a long time as a as a guiding philosophy. We don't want to interfere yet. Let's send all this technology down to this planet and build something that's called a duck blind and hide it behind a holographic screen so that nobody can see it and just watch. How is that not potentially interfering? And creepy. And and creepy. (laughs) Insurrection much? That's it. Yeah. You know, they have no idea what this technology is going to do to this ecosystem. You know, they have no idea what could potentially go wrong. And in both those instances, something goes very, very wrong. You know, I don't want to interrupt you. That's an awesome point that I've never thought of until you just said it just now, is what could possibly, what damage could be caused in the ecosystem by setting up these holographic, you know, what a duck, whatever you call them. I keep, duck I blind. Forget, duck blind. That's an awesome, awesome example of why, how they do it doesn't work. That's fantastic, man. I never even thought of that for a second. But it, it kind of goes along the lines of of uh, of, a, of a, a ripple effect when you change time, and that's an that's that's kind of the same thing. You could be causing catastrophic damage to the society just by doing something, um, uh, by spying on someone without them knowing. That's great. That I'm very proud of you again. That's twice in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm clearly overachieving by this point. Um, well, you know, the same argument could be made for just sending a landing party down. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, you know, they, I'm sure they scan things, they, they, they evaluate things. And of course, in, in the, the scope of a 45 minute TV show or, or however long it is, you know, you don't, you don't see that. You have to assume that there's some preparation that goes on to not, you know, leave the place worse than you found it. But usually we're just beaming down. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of how Riker runs into a problem in Shades of Grey, quite frankly. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could, to be kind of funny, but kind of serious at the same time, just by beaming down to watch these societies, you could be changing their history without even trying it. Let's say, for example, just going to spitball here. Yeah. You beam down to a planet, and as you beam down, when you materialize, your foot is on an insect that you kill. And that insect actually had the cure for a disease that a scientist was going to find if you hadn't beamed down. You've just changed the entire course of that civilization just by beaming down. Yeah, I know, I mean, right? <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Is that how that sounds? <laughs> well, you know, in um, in in symbiosis, which um, I have to say is actually one of my. Fa- I know it's a, it's not a great episode, Ugh. but it is one of my favorite Prime Directive episodes because Picard uses the Prime Directive to punish people. That's that's a valid point. I you know, hate the episode, but yeah. I, I hate the episode, but he said, we both said it's a skip it, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he says the prime directive isn't just a set of rules, it's a philosophy and a very correct one. History has proven time and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how, how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. However, in symbiosis, you know, Picard actually sets forth an action that forever changes the scope of, of these two planets. I mean, the assistance was asked for, and when he realized that it was essentially a drug deal gone bad, <laughs> um, he takes away all the assistance and says, yeah, 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 here you go. But but it's going to take us forever to get back. Yeah. 
Good luck with that. Let me ask you, this just popped in my head, and I can't remember the episode, and I apologize. I know we just talked about it in See It or Skip It. Um, it was the episode with Crusher being held hostage. Was it the one with Crusher being held hostage when, when James Cromwell was um, the ruler? Uh, I, I might be mixing two episodes, but at the end of the episode, Picard's on the planet, and he says, hey, pretty much what he says is, hey, too bad. You're going to have to deal with this on your own now, and he beams away. You are thinking of The Hunted. Yes. Which yes. is not the one where Dr. Crusher gets That's hit. right. The Hunted, yes. It's, uh, uh, what's the guy, the guy with, um, the guy who, um, bounces off the shields in his little ship. Yeah, his, yeah, uh, yeah. Rogadanar. Rogadanar. Thank you very much. Um, that's, isn't, isn't that kind of, well, I guess the question is, is the society that Cromwell was a leader in, was that, were they part of the Federation? Because with Picard saying, hey, you got to deal with this yourself, we're not helping you, isn't that a little opposite of what he did with the Klingon Civil War? Well, I, I suppose uh, in a sense, I mean, the key there is, you know, what is this, what is this, how does this planet relate to the Federation? Because, of course, the Prime Directive does apply to member worlds of the Federation as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Um I, I believe that there's a distress call in the hunted. If oh, that's turn. correct. Yes, I believe you're right. Yes, good job. Um, Geek the stump is going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, well, it was a at the beginning of the episode. Um, Picard and Riker are visiting, and it's because the planet wants to be a Federation member. Okay. So they have reached out to the Federation, I'm guessing. And at the end of the episode, Picard's like, uh, Picard's like yeah, I guess you're not quite ready. Let yeah. us know when you uh, resolve this. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So th there are significant complexities. There are significant deviations from the Prime Directive. Mm -hmm. I mean, y is it a good idea to have a non-interference directive? I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, NASA announced that, you know, when we go to space and start visiting other planets, we're not going to employ a prime directive type rule. Yeah, we're not going to do it. Do you, do, you, do you think that's a good idea? I don't think that's a good idea at all. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a little scary, actually. Because, I mean, what happens if we find something? Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. I, I did want to step back for a second. I want to get back to that point in a second, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the one of the most blatant violations. Oh God, is violations the right word? It's really hard to say. Uh, and it's of our favorite captain of our favorite series. It's Ben Cisco. Yeah. In the pale moonlight, man. What he does and how he does it. Ugh, it's 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 done so perfectly, but at the same time, uh, my head's exploding trying to trying to wrap around that complete, you know, ig ignoring the prime directive for all intents and purposes. Well, I mean, is that a prime directive violation necessarily? He totally interfered with uh, with. Other uh, members of, well, not members of the Federation, the Romulans, um, regular, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but I I, I think it is. You? Um, I'm not sure, because he drags them into a war, but he didn't necessarily change the development of the planet. How do we know that? If he didn't drag um, them into the war, countless billions of Romulans wouldn't have been killed in the war with the Dominion, so that's got to have some kind of change. 
Well, assuming, because they painted the picture for the Dominion that, I'm sorry, they painted the picture for the Romulans that the Dominion was coming after them, but there was no necess- there was necessarily no intelligence for that, which is why they manufactured the isolated data rod. Yeah, I mean that's a, that we yeah, we could do a whole episode on in the pale moonlight and the and the consequences and whether or not it was a prime directive violation. Oh, right. I, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, we do have you know uh, other instances like Cisco and for the uniform, oh. where he essentially oh. poisons the atmosphere of an entire planet just to go after Eddington. Yeah, that's a perfect example. We talked about that a couple months ago. Yeah, man, oh man. He not only changes the course of uh, of uh, potentially, you know, whatever civilization may be on that planet in addition to the Maquis, because we don't know, mm-hmm. but he changes the course of the planet's evolution. And that's just wrong. Oh, absolutely. And all just for revenge, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, um, those are probably, that's probably one of my favorite, um, violations of the prime directive of all time that really sounds bad as i say it sorry <laughs> well it, eddington had it coming because everything had been building to that i mean it's just oh, that's great I, I have i have a i have a question for you yeah, completely yeah. separate from what we're talking about it's about the prime directive and first contact but it's something that i was actually before we recorded tonight i was talking to my wife sue about what we were recording tonight and she brought up the beginning of into darkness with the planet of the the white mud caked people with the red trees, the Nibiru, yeah. Thank you. And they talk in Pike's office about how he violated the Prime Directive. Did he violate the Prime Directive, or did he violate the non interference of a pre warp society? That's where the confusion always comes in. Well, in that in that case, he's he's kind of done a little of column A and a little of column B because the natural evolution of that species was to be killed by a volcano. Yes. And now they're worshiping a a something that came out of the water and they're drawing it in the sand with their sticks. I mean, right. it's, it's a, it's, but it brings that, it, what I wanted to bring it up for is because it brings in what we talked about at the beginning, that confusion point about the prime directive versus non-interference with pre-warp society. And, they specifically talk about the prime directive when he's getting dressed down by Pike uh, in his office later on. So it's one of those, which one is it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I think in this case, you know, this is one of those times where, you know, because it's a pre-warp civilization, it's, it, it it's, it's everything. Hmm. <laughs> Not only did we, we, did we interfere, but we made contact Yes, um, because now they worship the Starship Enterprise. I mean, we <laughs> do as a general course of rule, but you know, say, we're nerds. I was going to say, who doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> I um, you know, th- that the scene is is fun at the beginning of Into Darkness, but it's mm-hmm. painful. It is. Um, it's very painful. I li- I like how it's done. It's a, it's a great opening for a movie, but at the same, you're absolutely right. It is painful. Yeah, I um, there are. Well, in many of the original series, Prime Directive violations, if you want to call them that, it seems like there's a supercomputer um, that the dim-witted residents of the planet don't know about. Peace and tranquility to you, friend. (laughs) You know, that, the feeders evolve, (laughs) um, you know, uh, the Landru. 
Everything's got, you know, these societies have been co-opted by other cultures using technology. And so Kirk corrects it by destroying the technology that controls them. Let me ask you this. Do you think that this applies also for the episode for The World is Hollow when I touch the sky? It's controlled by a computer. They interfere with what's going on with Yanata in their course of where it's headed. Yeah, I, to some extent. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to follow the letter and the spirit of the Prime Directive, I, I think it does. Um, you know. Uh, the, the side of paradise. Uh, absolutely the side of paradise. <laughs> we can go on and on, man. You know, uh, the, um, the paradise syndrome. Yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's there's just, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. Although, I have to tell you that one of my favorite aha moments regarding the Prime Directive is the time that a Starfleet crew has some uh, encounters a, a culture where their that culture's Prime Directive is used against them, and it's the Voyager episode Prime Factors. It's the it's like the ninth or tenth episode of the series, you know. So it's early on in the run, mm-hmm. but essentially, you know, Harry Kim meets this girl on a planet, you know, they decide they're going to you know, go see the, the sunset somewhere and they wind up teleporting again across half the galaxy. And they realize, wait a second, they've got this massive teleporter technology. If we could adapt this, we could get home sooner. Oh, yes. Yep. And the leader of the society, who's really annoying, I got to say, <laughs> hello, Captain Janeway. <laughs> um, says, no, 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 we, we can't give you our technology. Um, well, we, we can't give this to you. Right. You know, uh, but could you give us some of your stories? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Well, said- stories? <laughs> stories? Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a society that is all about, you know, rest and relaxation and, and hedonism to some extent mm-hmm. and, you know, shore leave and, you know, the crew isn't so psyched about the fact that this technology exists and there's, there's really nothing they can do about it, and it's kind of somebody else's prime directive being used against them, and it's really kind of the first time that turnabout happens. I guess the foot's on the other hand now, isn't it, Kramer? <laughs> Are you going to name the movie? Uh, yeah, no. No, I don't have no idea. It's, it's Airplane. Um, that made me think of another Voyager episode, which completely screws up um, the civilization, and I'm, I can't think of the title of it, but it's the one where Harry, quote-unquote, dies. Um, they're on a they're on a a planet and there's a whole bunch of people that are like mummified and it's the one where Harry's in this pod and he's, he is, he's transported to the society and they all think that the afterlife is now different than what they've all been trained about, trained for. I I can't remember the name of that one. And I might be confusing some of the plot details. I saw it recently, but. Oh no, you've got it. It's called emanations. Thank you. Emanations. It's, that's a perfect example that inadvertent. Now this was an inadvertent one, but. They inadvertently completely destroy what this comp- what this civilization has thought of as their afterlife and religion for millennia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay. So let's consider something else. So the next gen episode, Homeward. This is the one where Worf's uh, Worf's adopted brother, brother. Nikolai. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially beams up a pre-warp civilization to the Enterprise because, you know, they got to move them off this planet. Right. Um, stuff like that. Um, and clearly, that's that's not the way this should have gone down. 
some people have commented that, well, Nikolai is just a citizen of the Federation and not a member of Starfleet. So the prime directive doesn't really apply to his actions, but doesn't it? I would think it does. I don't think it's just specific to um, non-civilians. But at the same time, here's another question. If what they were doing was being done so that they could potentially save a society without them ever knowing that they were being moved and nothing went wrong, is it interfering? Well, I mean, we know that there were problems and there were, you know, the holodeck was, you know, spritzing and stuff like that. But if they were able to beam them up, it's kind of like insurrection when you think about it. If they were able to beam up this village, keep them in the holodeck, nothing ever happened. They never knew that anything was different. Beam them to an identical type of planet and they continued on their way with their civilization. Is that an interference? Is that a prime directive violation? I'm torn. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, because there's... You know, the, the natural evolution of this society was was changed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it brings up larger questions, I think, quite yeah, frankly. Absolutely. Um, but it's clearly Nikolai didn't do the right thing in, in any step of the way in this thing. I mean, obviously, he, there were mitigating circumstances, you know, come to find out, you know, he's, <laughs> he's in love. You know, but all that being said, we got to see an episode with Michael Dorn without his Klingon makeup. So that's always a plus, right? That's true. <laughs> um, so here's here's an interesting question for you. And you're a big Mirror Universe fan. Mm-hmm. Did Captain Kirk interfere with the development of the Mirror Universe? Absolutely. 100%, no doubt. He Is planted it, uh, that, scene in, that seed in Spock's head. Which completely changed the course of that entire universe from the from the uh, aspect of what the empire was like. Is it a prime directive violation? Why wouldn't it be? Because it was a parallel universe and not a civilization of a planet in our own universe. Well, no, forget the planet aside. But I mean, is it? Is it? I, I feel like it's not. Oh, I think it is. Definitely, it is. I'd be I'd be interested to see what our listeners think because I think it is without hesitation. You know, it's if anything, it's 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 almost catering to the Roman-like underpinnings of of the mirror universe, you know, um, society of sorts. You know, Kirk essentially told Spock to assert himself more. Um, you know, gave him access to the Tantalus device, or at least told him where 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 it was. Mm-hmm. You know, Moreau said you know was supposed to help him, but I I have a hard time viewing it as a prime directive violation because. It was just a, a an alternate universe Starfleet. No, I don't. I don't see it that way at all, man. I mean, there's there's a lot of times that I can see your point and, and agree with it. I think it's it's a it's a it's a perfect example of a violation because he is changing the course of that quote unquote civilization. Even regardless of how he did it, with just telling Spock about the Tantalus device and telling him to be the captain of this Enterprise. He, if you've read the novels of the Mirror Universe and see what happens, Shadows of Empire is a perfect example by David Mack. What happened after he planted that seed in Spock's head? The change that took place was unlike anything of any other type of prime directive violation. So I think it is definitely a violation of it. Yeah, I'm still not. I'm still not on board. Well, you get on board, sir. <laughs> <laughs> If we apply the Trek ranks rule of no wrong answers. <laughs> That's true. Uh, 
I would know, like, it's... Speaking of Trek ranks, I'd like to hear what Morehouse thinks about it, if he thinks it's a, a violation. Jim, chime in. I'm pretty sure he does, if you listen to the Trek Ranks podcast. Okay, well, there you go. Which you don't, so I congratulations. I do have it queued way up, go, I just haven't got <laughs> Yeah, way to go. Wow. Wow, way to throw me under the bus there, man. Hey, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> um, I, I think that there are some, some incredibly flagrant violations of the Prime Directive that make great stories. Um, even if they seem a little far-fetched, I mean, you wonder what, would a Starfleet officer really do that? Hmm. I'm thinking of an Equinox. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Yep. That's just, I, I have a hard time believing that that would actually happen. Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, year of hell. Year of hell. Yeah. I mean, we could go on for hours, man. Yeah, uh, we could. It's interesting. Why interesting. Why Year of Hell? Why don't you explain that one a little bit? Well, now that after I said it, I'm like, eh. Because Year of Hell is kind of like a it's a time thing and everything gets shifted back to normal. So it, it really isn't. But um, I don't mean – well, actually, no. It wouldn't be a prime directive violation because it's not, the, it's not the Federation that is doing all of the changes to the timeline. So scratch that. Never mind. Move on. <laughs> scratch it. Reverse it. <laughs> um, how about some of your favorite prime directive episodes overall? You know, it's it's funny. Return of the Archons has always been one of my favorite episodes. It's just it's just a funny episode to me, and and how things are with the Red Hour and and things like that. That's one that always stands out as a favorite Prime Directive. Who watches the Watchers? As we talked about earlier, is another one that I've always thought was was really really well done. Um, those are the top two that I think of off the top of my head. I know there's so many others that we've talked about. A piece of the action, even though it's not a prime directive violation episode, so to speak, um, it has ties or, or, or it has ties to the prime directive at the beginning when they have to go and fix everything. And at the end, when McCoy leaves his communicator there, it's like a bookend uh, prime directive episode. Um, what about you? What do you have for, for favorites? Well, it's... it's um there are a whole bunch. I mean, if I think back to Enterprise, I think of Cogenitor. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, which I think is, you know, again, there's no real prime directive in that time frame, but it's a really great example of, you know, what interference can do, um, especially however well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think of Return of the Archons right off the bat. That's another favorite of mine. Uh, Patterns of Force. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what John Gill was thinking, man. Come on. Um, You know, uh, Justice, Next Gen, terrible episode. Mm -hmm. But interesting prime directive study, even if the way is resolved, essentially Picard going, "Uh, yeah, we're out of here. (laughs) Private little war, I just thought of. Uh, Private Little War, absolutely. Yeah, um, that one's just ripe with <laughs> with <laughs> with a horrible treatment of the Prime Directive. Um, First Contact, I think, is a great Prime Directive episode, especially for the scenes between um, Patrick Stewart and George Coe um, talking oh. about you know uh, the first contact with the Klingons and how that was disastrous and how they have some wine. Um, um, I just thought of one. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's half a life. The Waxana episode with um, absolutely oh my god that's a great prime directive episode and even and that that brings the question of she's not Starfleet but she is uh, um, an ambassador 
of a Federation world? Is what she's doing a violation? That's a that's a great one, I think. I think it's a fantastic one. Um, if I look at DS9, there are just so many. Mm. Um, right off the bat with Emissary. Oh, yeah. You know, Emissary is a great look at the Prime Directive with an alien culture we definitely don't understand. And all of a sudden, we're using their their world as a conduit to a different quadrant. <laughs> Let me, you bring up a good point. Let me ask you this. TOS aside, yeah. every series premiere is a Prime Directive episode, I think. To some extent, yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Yeah. I think that's very true. Um, although not necessarily, well... Which one? Enterprise. I don't think well, the Broken Bow is necessarily... I mean, I suppose it's it's definitely a first contact type deal, but, you know, um, it's... Eh, there's no interference. <laughs> of course, with Discovery coming out, it might not be a first contact. That's true. Oh, that's no, but true. it will be because it's after Enterprise. Okay, never mind. <laughs> although um, the, uh, the Sulaban did more to... <laughs> to impact another culture than yes. than Starfleet did. In, In future, fact, they they drove yeah they drove us to space or you know to to warping through the galaxy quicker. <laughs> um, if I look at DS Nine, there's um, well you mentioned in the pale moonlight. I, uh, we talked about um, for the uniform. Mm. Uh, Inter Arma Enum Sealant Legas is another great one. That's oh my fantastic god, fantastic episode. Yep, I think that's one of the best Prime Directive episodes in all of Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Voyager has a whole bunch of Prime Directive episodes and. I've always thought of its writing as weaker, but if you look through the list of Voyager ones, there are some pretty solid episodes among these. I'm just going to run through a few of them. Okay. Um, there's Caretaker. There's Time and Again. Uh, State of Flux. Yes. Fantastic episode. Yep. Um, prototype. Is that the Android one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Future's End, part two. Even part oh. one, really. Yep. Scor- Scorpion. Oh, God, yeah. 30 Days. Omega Directive, Course Oblivion, Relativity, um, Friendship One, even Endgame. You know what? You know what I think is is interesting about the examples that you bring up for Voyager and why there's so many. Do you think that's because they're in the Delta Quadrant? Uh, partially, I yeah. do. Yeah, you know, it allowed for I think better storytelling. At least that was more like TOS. You know, meeting aliens of the week and not interfering in their culture. Sure, um, but. I think right off the bat that those are some of the ones that, that really stand out for me. And it's interesting to me that I think Voyager tends to has more of them, probably even more than the original series did, quite frankly. It's funny now that you say this and you, and you bring up these examples. As I watch Voyager on H&I nightly now, I'm going to be focusing on whether or not it's a Prime Directive episode. <laughs> oh, absolutely. anything else, yeah. Well, you know, I think we can boil it down to... You know, um, <laughs> well, on uh, on um, on Camp Kittimer, um, uh, Mikey from the GNT show. Essentially, you can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> that was his definition of the Prime Directive. You know, because secrets and, and reasons and stuff. Sure. <laughs> and that that's that's really got a lot to do with it. Um, you can observe, you can report, but um, hey, leave it alone. Sure. And I think that that's probably. You know, even though it's a troublesome plot device, I, I think that that really is a great one sentence summary of what the prime directive ought to be or is. You know, I feel less confused than I did an hour ago. That's amazing because I am even more confused. And it's, <laughs> it's probably because I'm talking to you. Well, I was going to say I'm not as confused because I've been talking to you. So thanks, pal. 
<laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> you know, I but I think the Prime Directive is one of those things that, you know, it's obviously for the Starfleet captains that employ it, it's open to interpretation to some degree. But I think that's true of fans as well. You know, I think we all have what we think the Prime Directive is and how it should be observed. And I don't think that's wrong. No, I don't think it's wrong either at all. I, I think it I think it allows us all to have uniquely different takes on on these episodes and these stories and these decisions that the characters you know make in the, in the scripts. And I, I think it allows for great discussion, which is part of the reason I think we wanted to talk about it today. I can't disagree with that logic, Mr. Vulcan. Wow. So, <laughs> oh, I had to throw in a Neelix reference. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> so, um... Dan, that's that's the Prime Directive in a bit of a nutshell. I can't wait to see what Discovery does as far as the Prime Directive goes. Well, yeah, because it's been established, because as we talked about earlier, the seed has been planted with um, that Enterprise episode, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. Of course, everything that's going to be coming up with Discovery is going to be interesting to see how they do it. But yeah, it'll be in its its infancy stages, I would think, at that point, because the Federation has been formed and so forth. So good stuff. DSC. Great. DSC, can't wait, buddy. Um, Dan, we keep having people come to our Facebook page and our, our Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, all the time. Lots of new people discovering Trek geeks. Why don't you tell everyone how they can get this here podcast in their world every single week? It is very easy. If you're new to the podcast, we make it it's so easy that even Bill could do it. So it's got to be pretty easy. So uh, all you need to do is head on over to subscribe.trekgeeks.com and find out how you can get this here podcast every Tuesday delivered automatically to your iPod, iPhone, Android, or any other of your favorite mobile devices. Uh, plus, you can listen to the podcast on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher. Uh, go to trekgeeks.com and click on each episode album cover, and you'll be able to listen to our mellifluous tones. Uh, Bill, it's your independent Star Trek podcast delivered your way, so make it so. Wow. Mm. That was a great read on that one, buddy. Thanks. Great job. Thanks. I didn't screw up. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. Dan, of course, we want to thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't have all this amazing music that we use on the podcast every single week. We want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums. I mean, we listen to them constantly. You hear them on this show constantly. You know, you should be chomping at the bit to get all those things on your MP3 player, your iPod, your phone, wherever you listen to music. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please show them support and some love because we're huge fans and we think you will be too. What's very cool is that sometimes they record in a comic book store. They showed a video of, of, of recording in a comic book store. What could be more cooler than that? You know, I, be, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you right now because it was an episode that I saw, which was cooler than that. Uh, when the Grand Nagus calls Bill and calls upon you to come up with a plan to have concerts in the Gamma Quadrant, you better not fail him, Fark. I'm talking to you. You know, with all the negotiating going on, we may not have recognized Lieutenant Clagg from TNG posing as a red-faced Karama, but he was there. So check out the fun, the witty Ferengi-filled five-year mission episode the rules of Farquisition. Boom. I uh, the mic has been dropped, sir. I I can only hope that you lose the mic and don't ever pick it up again. That was just brutal. That was. You know what would have been more brutal? I was gonna do it in the voice of the Grand Nagus. 
Oh, wait, that would have been absolutely brutal. Yeah. You know, yes, it would have been, Quark. <laughs> oh, you should have done that. <laughs> Sorry. You totally have this Wallace Shawn vibe going on right there. That's pretty good. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> That's one of your best ones ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Sorry. Oh, why don't we have you doing intros for the podcast that way? Oh I'll, my God, I'll get one set up. I'll do it, man. <laughs> I'm not using Beetle Snuff. I'm listening to the Trek Geeks podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> oh, I crossed the streams there. Sorry about that. Dan, coming up next week, we're going to uh, talk to a couple of brand new friends of ours. We are very excited to welcome these two guys. Two guys, one Trek is going to be here on this here podcast, TrekGeeks.com. But we don't even know what we're talking about. We're just having them on, and we're going to have a fun-filled hour of Star Trek frivolity. Fun and frivolity at that. (laughs) Josh and I have a great podcast. They just dropped season two last week. Um, they drop all their episodes at once, and I we're gonna have to ask them about that because if I had to do that, I would go crazy. Oof. Ooh. Editing once a week is hard enough. I can't imagine doing all 20-some-odd episodes you know, in one shot. That's kind of brutal. They're, uh, they're watching the original series. Um, one of them is, is a longtime fan. One of them is a brand-new fan, and uh, it's, it's pretty entertaining. They, they, they do the exact opposite of what we do. Wow. D- diversity. IDIC. Is it they wrong? Watch, no, they watch Star Trek <laughs> together, and you and I have never watched Star Trek I together. could not sit in the room with you, man. No way. <laughs> Don't I know it? <laughs> That's next week on Trek Geeks, episode 105. Oof. Dan, for, I know, right? For more great Star Trek discussion, please check out our friends, the Tricorder Transmissions, online at thetricordertransmissions.com. They've, uh, they just put out a new shore leave. They're getting ready for STLV, which is less than two months from right now. So if you want to prep for that con, you should be dialing them in every single week. And Dan, of course, for all the latest news on all dust Star Treks, Please visit our great friends at treknews.net online at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 104 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. A coconut moya. That's it? What do you mean? That's like the best ever. Right. (laughs) That That is funny. That is funny. Wow, what happened there, buddy? Did you get kicked uh, in the little, uh... yeah. <laughs> wow, it's way to start a clean podcast. I appreciate that. I, I stopped myself, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Didn't leave much to the imagination there. Uh, well, there's not much to imagine in these days. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this what, awesome. What? 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 I'm sorry. Don't uh, gloss over that. <laughs> You take shots like that? Come I, uh, on, I, you know you just gotta roll with the punches, go with the flow, take I it can like replace you. What? Wow! <laughs> All right, what folks you? listening, 
can he really replace me? Would it be the same here on the yeah, Trekkies? It'd be better. Podcast? I'm not talking to you right now, Bill. I'm talking to our, our gracious listeners who love both of us, and I would like to know. Probably no, I don't want to know. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, it's Andy Robinson is still just a phone call away. I'm sure I could even get J.G. Hertzler. After I got them originally, so yeah, okay, if you want to take the credit after the fact, that's fine. Andy's always said he'd be willing to to take over for you. Well, he can try, and he would succeed. He would succeed. (laughs) Yes, he would, because he is awesome, and I am not. (laughs) Hashtag not awesome. I'm glad we have this recorded finally. I've been waiting decades for you to say this. You have beat me into submission, sir, and I am I am nothing without you. I only wish Oh, shut up. <laughs> so um had to go fridge shopping today. Yeah, how'd that go? We want to spend some money. Uh, but it's nice, isn't it? Did you get the bottom freezer? Uh, we did. It won't be delivered till Friday though. Oh. That's yeah. too bad. So uh, all the uh, the water and beer fridge, which is it's a much smaller fridge that's in our kitchen, yep. is uh, holding the mission critical stuff and a cooler with ice is holding everything else. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, it's no fun going through that. No. Yeah. Oof. Eesh, that's too bad. Yeah. 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 Serve you right for all the bad things you said about me. Oh, it, I'm... <laughs> If that's all that's going to happen, I'm just going to keep piling it on. Jerk. <laughs> uh, no, I actually feel bad. I've gone through bad, bad freezers, and it's no fun at all. Especially well, when you have zero knowledge of how to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this fridge is like at least 20 years old, too. That's an old fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So we got a new one coming. Yeah. Does it have like a TV in the front and all that? No. Uh, does it have Wi-Fi? I don't understand why people need that in their fridge. I have no idea. What? The, no idea. Can you? No. Not next subject, please. I, I just I, I I see these commercials and I'm like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Or are the one that takes a picture of what's inside your fridge and sends it to you so you can do shopping? How about you just make a list? Is that a real thing? Because I have not seen that. Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a real thing, my friend. That's absurd. What what are we what are we turning into? We're gonna be those people on the ship on Wally in the Pixar movie, just like on those floating like beach chairs and not even doing anything. I, I haven't seen it, but uh, oh, okay. Well, you'll know what I mean. Anybody? Just, we're gonna be the the feeders of Vol. <laughs> wow, it's interesting that you bring that up at this particular time. I wonder why. Hmm, that's interesting. I got nothing. I don't know. David Soul was in it. I know that. Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite 70s cop show. Those are my favorite shows of all time. Sliding across the hood of that car in the start. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, I think that was Paul Michael Glazer who did that. He was the one who jumped off the fire escape and landed on the roof. Oh, yeah. I don't know which one slid across the hood. I just thought it was cool back then. Do you know which one David Soul played? Character. He was uh, He was Hutch, wasn't he? He was. There you go. See? Yeah. He was. I had a 50-50 shot, so, you know. You really did. I, <laughs> it's kind of like Stump the Geek. I mean, the answer's right there on the tip of your tongue, and you just got to take the chance. Assignment Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Cat's paw. <I> just, <laughs> for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Oh. 
Requiem for Methuselah. Oh, I said it without you screwing could. up. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Aaron to Mercy. Oh, that's another one. Yes, yes, yes. Turnabout Intruder. Oh, just they roll off the tongue, man. That's, uh, that, that last episode aired this week, back in 1969. Do you like how I did that? That was huh? good. Yeah. Janice Lester. Yeah. Still worse than Spock's brain. What planet were they going to be buried on? Tell me. Come on, quick. Can't look it up. Interment will take place on... Uh, that's a stump the geek question. That's not a geek the stump question. Okay. And we don't do planets, remember? Well, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just asking if you know it. I'm, I wouldn't I'm sorry, throw it's a that. rules violation. You lose. There's no rule going. We're not playing the game right now, jerk. It's, it's a rules violation. You lose. Your face loses. You make no sense. You would make no. You make no sense. You. What, you I can't even talk to you. Oh, that would be the ultimate joy in my life if you couldn't talk to me. <laughs> I, you have no, no idea. Are we ready to do this? <laughs> I seriously question whether you are, but you're, I have been ready this for This is going time. to be the most, hi, Bill, I'm glad to be here, show that you've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, I, don't even know, I don't even know what that means. It means that I'm not going to give, you know, I'm just going to talk regularly, not going to be any emotion. I'm going to be, I'm going to be data tonight on the show. So you mean you're going to be Dan Davidson? Because, you know, you do put our listeners to sleep, remember? <laughs> Heather, can you please help me here? <laughs> She's never, they're never going to hear this part. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, sad, sad. You are. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. It's the first time for everything. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. All right.